It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about Syracuse football's brutal loss to Louisville and a win for the basketball team. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is our great friend from ESPN.com, David Hale. David, welcome back to the program. How are you today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, David, and we'll get you started on this one. There are plenty of storylines from college football over the past weekend from Kansas upsetting Texas, Florida giving up 52 points to an FCS team, Oklahoma's loss to Baylor, and Michigan hanging on against Penn State. What was the biggest story in your mind? Well, look, we all love to laugh at Florida and Texas. I don't think anybody's going to argue about that. That's when, when Texas loses to Kansas, that's a good joke for the next five years. So that's investment <laughs> right there in our future happiness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are the big stories, I think. But, but if you talk about, like, what actually meant something uh, on a bigger stage in terms of how we're going to view the season uh, in a few weeks or a few months and, and who has a chance at the playoff, Michigan's win against uh, uh, Penn State was, was huge. Um, I think Michigan continues to sort of muddle through some, I guess, maybe off-kilter performances but come out on the other side. Uh, still in a position to make the, a run at the playoff. And, and look, that, that defensive front that they have, led by David Ajabu and uh, Aiden Hutchinson, has just been unbelievable. And when you look at you know what they have done against a, a number of good Big Ten teams and you apply that same logic and say, boy, if they can play that way against Ohio State, I've seen the sun come up too many times to expect it not to come up tomorrow. But I do think that Michigan has an actual shot this year more so than than in a lot of previous years under Jim Harbaugh. So to me, Michigan was one big takeaway. Oklahoma State, maybe the other one. Those are two teams, maybe even Notre Dame, if you want to throw that in there too, that that I think a lot of people kind of wrote off earlier in the season or thought, ah, they're not really teams that are going to win at all. They're not really – they're winning, but they're not contenders. And I think, look, they're still here. And they seem to all be playing better today than they were in September. To me, that's a recipe for for some potential shenanigans as we get to the end of the season, too. I think that, that's one of the big takeaways for me um, is, is really all three of those teams looking much better than I think they did even just a few weeks ago. David, there's two weeks left in the season, and Cincinnati is still undefeated. You talked about shenanigans. They just got jumped by Alabama in the latest poll after a competitive game against USF. Do you see them still crashing the Power 5 party in the college football playoff? I don't because... There's just – the fact of the matter is is that the best thing that they can do is keep winning, but that's clearly not enough for the committee, for voters. And, look, the, the, the AP poll voters, at least, were willing to give Cincinnati the benefit of the doubt for a while. But what, what has happened really over the breadth of the playoff is the more playoff committee rankings come out, the more those tend to influence how I think AP voters vote as well. I think the AP poll, if you didn't have – a uh, college football playoff ranking at all until the end of the year, the AP poll would probably still recognize Cincinnati as the second-best team in the country. Um, But I think those voters tend to get swayed by the committee. And you can argue whether it's right or wrong. I I think there's probably valid points on both sides. But I find it personally frustrating that wins aren't considered real wins for Cincinnati. Um, 
And, and, you know, I don't know. Maybe they end up losing one of these along the way. They're probably going to get Houston uh, in the in the uh, championship game. They still have SMU. I, I think maybe there's an opportunity for, for Cincinnati to lose, and it fixes the question altogether for the folks that, uh, in the in the playoff rank or the playoff committee. But the flip side of that is, you know, what else are you supposed to do? Like, at some point, you have to recognize that a team hasn't lost. And, and to me – I don't like how it's sort of we're parsing the value of a win. A win is a win in my mind. And, yeah, you can look better or worse, but the job is to win games. And I wish we would just kind of appreciate that as opposed to sort of the constant need to uh, define how good a win was. Speaking of teams that keep winning, Georgia, they've looked awfully impressive recently. They easily knocked off Tennessee. Can anyone stop them? Uh, it's a good question because there's this part of me that still keeps looking at the Georgia offense and asking how they do it. Like, there's, there's a really good backfield. It's a, an O-line that has, I think, outperformed expectations. But you're talking about a, a, a quarterback who is, I don't think anybody viewed as SEC caliber quarterback before this season. And we saw struggle a good bit last year before uh, JT Daniels came on. And you say, well, is this something that's sustainable? You look at the receiving core, and outside of their, their tight end, Brock Bowers, they really don't have this sort of genuine elite talent. And you say, is that sustainable? Well, it might not matter because their defense is so good that I don't know how many games there possibly could be, even in the playoff, where they need to score 40 or something to win. I don't think that's going to happen. So the question is, is this offense good enough to put up 28 to 31 points in a playoff game against somebody like Alabama or Ohio State? And the answer to me is yeah, because none of those teams look exactly perfect or, or elite at this point either. I mean, I, whatever you define elite as, I mean, I, if your definition of elite is 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama, I don't think anybody quite looks like that this year, including Georgia. But the fact of the matter is that Georgia has a genuinely elite defense, and that hasn't been the recipe for national championships lately, but it's, there's no rule that says it can't be. So I – I still am sort of on the Georgia bandwagon. I was on the Georgia bandwagon before the season. They've done absolutely nothing to change my mind. David, I think if you had said in August that Wake Forest was going to be undefeated in the ACC this late in the year and Clemson was probably not going to make the ACC championship game, you probably would have laughed at me. How do you see the rest of the season playing out in the ACC? This is such an interesting game on Saturday for Wake and Clemson because on one hand, it's sort of this perfect storm for Wake Forest because this is, I think, unquestionably the best Wake Forest team in certainly the Dave Clawson era, and I think you could probably make a pretty good case that it's the best Wake team of all time. Uh, and it is an offense that is tremendous, that hasn't scored less than 35 in a game this year. No other team can say that. Uh, and meanwhile, Clemson is a mess. They offensively have no identity. They Even against UConn, a game they, they won comfortably – but you hardly could watch that offense play against UConn and say, well, that looks like a functional unit. It didn't. It looked like a disaster. <laughs> and, and so you say, well, all right, if, if Wake doesn't have to be its best version of itself, but if they put up 30 on Clemson, what are the odds Clemson's getting to that number? And I think the odds are pretty low. But here's the reality of it. Since Brent Venable's got to Clemson, Wake hasn't scored more than 20 against them. So this has to be – there are a lot of signs that say this year is different. But it's real hard to, like, envision in your mind's eye it being that different, where this 
and, and as bad as Clemson has been, this defense is still really, really good. Really good up front. Really good in the secondary. Really physical at linebacker. They match up well with a lot of what uh, Wake Forest wants to do. All of that is really problematic if you're Wake Forest, even though on paper they have every advantage in the world. And David, we'll get you out of here on this one. Let's talk a little bit about our alma mater, Syracuse. They've got two really tough games at NC State and then home at Pitt. Do you see them getting to win number six after a drubbing at Louisville? Well, that Louisville game was shocking to me in a lot of ways because, one, Syracuse had been playing so much better, and, two, Louisville really hadn't. Louisville had been a team that um, was effectively loading up their gun to shoot themselves in the foot on a weekly basis. And I've been high on Louisville all offseason. I was hyping Louisville as the team that was going to make the biggest turnaround in, uh, in 2021. And um, I don't think that my rationale was wrong. It's just Louisville hadn't met the expectations and had managed to uh, undermine its own success again and again. It didn't happen. I don't think there's necessarily shame in, in losing to Louisville because, again, I have been on the train that this is a pretty good team that just hasn't lived up to expectations. It's how they lost to Louisville. And I don't know, sometimes the ball gets rolling downhill and it's hard to stop it. So you just say, well, what's the difference between losing, you know, 21-7 to 7 or losing 50-7? to 7? It's, At some point, you know, the, the game was out of hand. So I think there's a little bit of that. Um, the, the upside for Syracuse, I think, is that the two teams that they're going to play both might be in a position where they are not necessarily playing at their best. For, for NC State this week, you've got a team that had uh, Atlantic Division championship hopes, and those hopes are not necessarily extinguished, but they took a real nosedive against Wake Forest last week. So maybe NC State comes in with a hangover and isn't, you know, sort of assumes they're going to beat Syracuse and the game doesn't go according to plan for them. Then the other thing is Pitt could go out and beat Virginia this week, and I, I think they will. And if they do, then Pitt has essentially secured their spot in an ACC championship game. So how motivated is Pitt uh, in the final game of the year? And maybe that's one that Syracuse can steal too. Look, the, the, it will be an uphill battle for them to get to six wins. I think we all knew that even before the season started. My guess is they're going to look back at the Florida State game and be kicking themselves at the end of the year. I don't know that I can pick Syracuse to win either of these games, but I definitely wouldn't rule it out. I would say it's probably 50-50 that they get at least one of them. David, thanks so much for coming back on the program again. David Hale from ESPN.com. Thanks so much for your insight. Enjoy the rest of the college football season. We'll speak with you soon. Awesome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always great speaking with David Hale, and I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse basketball improving to 2-0 on Sunday with a 75-60 win over Drexel. Syracuse actually trailed out a halftime before they used a couple of big second-half runs to put the game away. What were your overall takeaways on this game? How about that uh, second-half performance, Wes, coming out of the locker room? You know why Jim Beheim's a Hall of Fame coach? He can deliver the right message, and you know he did in this case as well with Syracuse really struggling in the first half against Drexel. Came out like a different team and give a lot of credit to Jim Beheim. He knows what to say, how to uh, lecture as a professor uh, using uh, you know blackboard in the, in the locker room at halftime and dissecting different things he wants done and just what a great teacher he is and the team really came out. You could tell they responded to that halftime talk. I think that this schedule is also shaping up to be the perfect one for this team, Wes. Opening up with teams 
in the Patriot League or in the case of Drexel and the uh, CAA, it is the perfect way for Syracuse to learn from mistakes, watch the, the video after these games, and make improvements as each game moves on in the schedule. What stood out to me was how they turned up the defense. This is going to be a season all about the defense because, again, like in the last couple of years, I'm not worried about who's going to score and get offensive production, but can they stop the other team from scoring and use the defense to kind of propel either transition game or the offensive end in in, uh, set court situations. What stands out, though, on a negative side to me a little bit, improving on the offensive end with offensive fouls, illegal picks. There were four of them called in the game against Drexel. And it's also just going to be more time it's going to take for the newcomers, uh, freshman Eddie Williams, uh, transfer Samir Torrance, and Cole Swider, just to feel that much more comfortable in their specific roles on this team. In the case of Swider, you know, there was a lot of talk in the preseason about his great shooting ability and that he was going to add to the three-point shooting threat. Well, I don't, after two games, I just don't know if that's really what they're going to need from Cole Swider and everything else he does on the court, he does well. Thought he played great defense. He's a great passer. Uh, of course, he can shoot, as we know, but he's got to get it more custom into this role and Jim Beheim alluded to it in his post-game press conference. He's moving up from playing 10 minutes a game to 30 minutes a game, and that's quite an adjustment. I think Samir Torrance will get more comfortable in his role. Don't need him to get a lot of points, but do need him to feed the ball and get a lot of assists. I think we might see a blocked shot per game from Benny Williams. He's got one after each of the first two games. He certainly has the hops, and what a great leaper, and uh, just really athletic in demonstrating that he can block shots. And Jimmy Beheim has really stood out. I mean, he really knows his role. He knows how to play within himself. He's such a strong, fundamental basketball player. He's played for three years in college. So his his performances have really, you know, they've raised some eyebrows, but at the same time, it's kind of what you may expect from a Beheim player on a team coached by Jim Beheim. And Joe Girard and Buddy, Buddy Beheim in the starting backcourt, what, what can you say? They're going to be the leaders all season. And uh, Joe Girard making his first eight three-point shots, eight for eight to begin the season, uh, really stands out to me along with his defense. So perfect way to start the season against this type of competition as opposed to opening up with, you know, a top 25 ranked team in the first uh, game of the season as other teams have. This is the perfect way to gently move into a season and see improvement from a team like this. Brad, Syracuse also got great production from Jesse Edwards and Frank Anselm, the two combining for 14 points, 10 rebounds, and four blocks. Jim Beheim saying after the game he'd take that production from them every time. Syracuse really hasn't had good, true center production since Rakeem Christmas. I think the two of them are really going to help Syracuse's defense this season. I'm glad you brought them up, Wes, because they're the only two of the uh, eight base rotation I did not mention. And I, I'm impressed by both of those players, and, and I certainly agree with Jim Beheim's post-game sentiments. He, he would take that every game. You can see the improvement in Jesse Edwards. You can see the confidence in his game. You can see that extra step in his movement on the court, uh, and you can see how they've been setting up plays where there's penetration and then feeding off underneath even 
couple of early alley-oop type of passes to him for dunks or easy lay-ins in the basket. And Frank Anselm, he's really going to continue to improve because he's jumped so much from, you know, playing limited time last year to playing, you know, to being counted on as the backup center with Barama Sidibe out to the playing time he's gotten so far this year. And I certainly agree with Jim Beheim. He would take that that kind of production from those two players uh, every time. If they can get Barama Sidibe back, well, that's the bonus now of having 15 fouls at that position. Still have to watch out for foul trouble with just uh, Edwards and, and, and Salem in there. But, of course, Jimmy Beheim, if needed, and, and can move over to the five, played there a little bit in the first two games. But you really want to see marked improvement from them, and, and we've seen it already, and that's really going to be the key to Syracuse, keeping that balance from the outside perimeter game to having strong inside play offensively. And, Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. What a wonderful Sunday afternoon in the Dome this past weekend for both the men's and women's basketball programs, Wes, in a move that was long overdue, the uh, university recognizing Felicia Leggett-Jack as the first women's basketball player to have a jersey number uh, hoisted up to the r- roof of the Dome. And it was just a, a great ceremony, a halftime of the women's game, and then a- an additional ceremony to acknowledge and honor her contributions to Syracuse basketball during the men's game. And what also stood out to me, I, I just think it's it's really great, what a fraternity of Syracuse basketball alumni returning to the Dome and honoring Felicia Leggett-Jack with that ceremony. Lawrence Moten, Derek Coleman, Eric Devendorf, Sherman Douglas, and John Wallace. Wow, what a five players that is to be on a court at any time. But what a great symbol of Syracuse men's basketball, those players returning to honor a great women's, women's player. And you know, being there for the program, watching this year's team, those are the kind of things that really uh, don't get enough publicity about the great program that Jim Beheim has put together and the players that he's had in the program in his 46 years. Brad, my closing thoughts are on Sean Tucker. Syracuse's running back has more than 1,600 scrimmage yards through 10 games. And in the ACC over the last 10 years, they've only been five players to accomplish that feat. Andre Williams, Duke Johnson, Dalvin Cook, and A.J. Dillon. That's pretty good company to keep. Syracuse may have taken a drubbing on Saturday, but Tucker's star continues to shine as he climbs up the record books at Syracuse. Congratulations to him on what's been an outstanding season so far. That's it for us for Brad Beerman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that the boomerang is Australia's chief export and then import. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? 
Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.